The following content is not suitable for children. Okay, we're going to come alive in the bedroom. How are we going to do that, Lori? Let's talk about how people can get through their body blocks, the senses in their body. Welcome to Foreplay Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. I'm Lori Watson, your sex therapist. And I'm George Fallon, your couples therapist. And we are passionate about talking about sex and helping you develop a way to talk to each other. Our mission is to help our audience develop a healthier relationship to sex that integrates the mind, the heart, and the body. So, gee, we are doing so great on Instagram. Basically, thank you to the secure relationship with Julie Manano. Thank you again, Julie. But we've got like 12.3 thousand followers, and we would love to have you guys follow us at foreplay underscore radio sex therapy. That's kind of our old name, but we still have it as our Insta handle. But we do some really cool things there. Quotes by George and little posts that help synthesize what we're teaching. So, you know, you kind of have a visual on that for all our visual people out there. I'm going to make a better commitment here, Lori, to synthesize in some of these messages so people can get it out there. You know, both of us have some hopefully things to say and we just need your help in spreading the word. Absolutely. So join us there. And today we're going to talk about particularly the sense of in our bodies, right? And some of the gas pedals that we've talked about, but we want to expand that more and also how we get through it when these same things are breaks for us and we can't be as sexual, be as sunk into our bodies and our sensuality as we want to be. Right. And a lot of this, the idea for this podcast came from our couple's uh, day of great sex and just having couples talk to each other about things often they don't talk about and it was fascinating for me to see how people just don't you know we fall into these routines where we just don't even think about introducing more of our senses how do we get more in our body so this was a a, i think great success for a lot of couples during that day and we want to share that with you all yeah and i didn't tell you this george and i won't name any names but one couple spoke to me privately and they had been sexless for about 10 years And they've been listening to the podcast and they are now, they've been sexual now for like four months. So I cried. I cried that, yeah, it like gave me goosebumps. It was like, ooh, that is so good. You know, we, it's just you and I in this podcast studio, essentially, and we don't necessarily hear about all the time what's happening out there for people as they listen to us. And it's, it's really encouraging when we hear that kind of stuff. Right. So let's give our listeners just that overview of that acronym, BEST SEX, right? The BEST, the B for the body, which is what we're going to focus on today. Those five senses. How can we help people become more engaged? The E is for their emotions, right? The heart. How can they be more tap into that romantic side? The S is a spiritual side for for a lot of people. That's a big access. We become part of something bigger than ourselves. And the T is for the thinking, right? The erotic brain. How do we access more of that? This is all about levels of engagement. So as couples start to think about the gas pedals, the things that they do well in that best acronym, and then the breaks, things that actually turn off their kind of desire, their passion. So the more that we can increase these gas pedal scores and decrease these break scores, the higher levels of engagement. So today we're going to talk about the body. The body. And the five senses. Okay. Okay. So touch and skin and 
warmth, all those good things. Ah, wow, touch, right? Our first language. It is our first language. I mean, we we come into the world, we, we only get security and regulation by being held and touched. And did you hold your children to you when they were born? Were you in the birthing room? Yes. Uh-huh. yes. Skin on skin? Skin on skin. Oh, George, I love that. I'm so glad you did that. My son had uh, my wife, again, normal, had trouble breastfeeding those first couple of days. So mm-hmm. I had to feed him with my finger, some little oh. kind of thing he sucked out of. It was, it uh-huh. was you know, pretty amazing. Precious. That's I really I can still precious. think about that 20 years later. Yeah, I, I know. Particularly, I had some trouble uh, and the babies were taken from me. But my second son... I said, nobody takes him for six hours. This is, you know, he's mine. And I just got to hold him. And that was really a different, wonderful experience. Just that skin on skin, those first six hours. It's it's a real bonding experience. And of course, later with my other children as well. But and for so many of us, touch is that primary love language. But even yes. if that's the case, we can get more specific like, let's break this down. Like, what type of touch do you actually like? Do you like it firm? Do you like it soft? Is, what's the pressure, the temperature, the tickles? Like, as we get clearer, we would, me and you were joking around. You're like, no tickles for me. That's, you know, that, that that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, so. No. <laughs> you think that's no, my block? It could be. It could not be. Right? We're just, this isn't it investigation that we're inviting everyone to listen to like what are things that are turn-ons that's the gas pedal the more specific you like touch like you like soft touch in the beginning a little bit firmer as you know can you communicate that Mm -hmm. or your your partner's not a mind reader the more that you can identify what it is that you like you know it, it just gives you more good stuff right exactly Right. If you like a nice warm, I, you surprised me with that at the trade and you were like, the best investment you can make is a heating pad for the bed, right? If you get a woman's body nice and warm, that's such a big part of kind of letting her relax and let go. And if you crawl it into a freezing bed, it's you know, a lot harder process. So again, these, there's some simple things here that you everybody probably can do that can increase the levels of touch that's, mm-hmm. that's welcoming and, and exciting and, you know, hits that gas pedal. Yeah, temperature, I think, is so important. We're heading, right now, for us, we're heading into winter, and so, ooh, warm beds. That definitely makes a woman relax, I think. Absolutely. And, I mean, we have talked about this. No, we have (laughs) talked about this as far as gas pedals, but I was thinking in that training, I was like, wow, a lot of these things are heavily braked. Right. There are just blocks that stop us. You know, if you're a child, you didn't get touch or maybe you got the wrong type of touch or maybe, you know, you were abused with touch. I mean, these things are going to impact us. And like, how do we also explore that? Like these these blocks and these breaks that we have are parts of us. And most of us want to avoid it. So I don't like touch. It's just that's off the table. Well, no, let's let's get curious about what you don't like. And maybe that will be the case for the rest of your life, but maybe there are things that you can do in identifying these breaks that could free them up and give you more access. Can we talk for a little bit more about what you just said about maybe as a child, you didn't get enough touch? Mm. More than anything that I see with sexual withdrawers who are not touch-oriented, who don't reach out naturally for affection or to touch their partner, it often comes back to their childhood where 
they really did not have enough affection. And I think what happens to us, because we need so much affection as children, all children need that. And if we don't get it, it's almost like our heart steals against it. Okay, I won't need that anymore. And then when touch gets eroticized at puberty and our brains start going towards sex as the natural kind of expression of what we expect in partnership and touch, you know, they just can't go there because it's it, it would break that protection, you know, that they're afraid yeah. of. If I need, if I want, I'm terrified that it won't be enough. And so rather than being a pursuer and asking more, 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 they basically are backing up. And it's like, I, I'm not even going to break the surface with my need. I'm not going to let right. my partner know. I'm not going to let I'm not going to feel it because it was so painful to feel it the first time. I can't do it. I, I, I really do think there's some wonderful thing about a sexual withdrawer who came from a family without, you know, without enough touch and they marry somebody who can't get enough touch. Yeah. You know, because they want to keep touching their partner and touching their partner and touching their partner. And it, yeah. I just wonder if in that abundance, maybe that's kind of the plan. The person can finally open up again to their own need. Yes. And it works so well in that honeymoon period because they're both flexible and open. The mm -hmm. problem is once the threats come into the relationship, right, the inevitable fights, those mm -hmm. old strategies then kick back in, right? And, and people who don't get touched. And what's so tragic, you can go through the family tree and you see the generational passing down of the no touch. Yeah. Right? No parent wants to not touch their kid. But if you didn't get the touch, it's, it's harder to give the touch. And you just see this intergeneral transmission, right? Intergenerational. Mm -hmm. The good news is if you could identify that, I mean, literally, if you're a child and you don't get touched, you got to learn to leave your body, right? You got to learn not to need the touch because to need it and be disappointed all the time is just too painful. So people will dissociate. They actually will distance themselves from their own body, and, right? And, and they'll live in their head. And literally, George, I think the, the word pain happens in people like sometimes they experience touch as literally painful yeah um, or irritating or uh, all kinds of things that yeah that feel bad to them right if touch puts pressure on you it's it means you know you're gonna fail you're gonna disappoint your partner i mean touch wouldn't make sense why people recoil from that mm-hmm Right. And mm -hmm. these are these breaks that we're really inviting our listeners to listen to. Like, how, who do you talk to about that? How do you give space? Because most of us just want to avoid it. I mean, the root of dissociation or disconnection from your own body. The good news, it's never too late to add the missing ingredients, to get curious, to create that neuroplasticity that starts the, deep down. There's definitely a part of your body that wants it. Mm -hmm. Right. But the only way you're going to get there is to face the blocks that get in the way of that. Exactly. Exactly. Now, speaking of childhood, and you brought up that I don't like tickling, it just like occurred to me, you know, I was held down and tickled by my brothers. I had two older brothers mm. who were much stronger. And I think it was that I couldn't get them to stop that out of control. It wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. You know, so it probably is some deep memory that needs to be healed. Well, hey, listen, forced touch, your body remembers and it doesn't yeah. like it for good reasons. Absolutely. So maybe if there was some tickling where you had a lot of power and agency and control, your body might have a different response to it. Okay, be, I'm turning be on Be careful, man. Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Let's come back and talk about this more. Okay, okay, later. 
please use a lubricant. You know, UberLube is the lubricant that I have been using for 20 years and recommending to clients because it is silicone-based and it has a trace of vitamin E, which is actually good. There's studies out that demonstrate vitamin E oil on the vulva actually heals us. I mean, it makes it better even during foreplay, even during the time that when you're sort of getting ready for intercourse, that is the time to use UberLube. And I just invite you to go to uberlube.com, use the coupon foreplay that helps support the podcast. It is the best on the market. So many doctors recommend it. And I recommend it as Dr. Lori Watson, sex therapist. I had a patient last week tell me, you know what, I have used so many lubricants and all of them have some sort of irritation to my body, but this one really works. It's got a smooth glide and it doesn't irritate me the way the others do. So uberlube.com slash foreplay. Thanks. Speaking with certified sex therapist, Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive? So an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress on an issue that you've been stuck in. Maybe it's a sexual issue or a relationship issue. People will fly in maybe on a Friday and we'll do three hours usually, get them acclimated, kind of set a direction. And then on Saturday, we usually do four or five hours and Sunday morning, four or five hours as well. Compared to weekly therapy, I mean, there's just so much more you can get done when you have a chunk of time. How do people know if an intensive will help them? I do an initial hour interview to make sure that the candidate is suited for that kind of deep, long work. And also to make sure that I'm the right person. And for the record, if you don't choose to come in and see me, then you don't have to pay for that hour. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com. Okay, we're back and George wants to talk about five senses. So we're talking about five senses, whatever George wants. Okay. If the world could only be so simple, Lori. Yeah, whatever George wants. You know, other senses, I think, where people get hung up with that break, especially I see breaks with women and smell. And mm. there is a physiological issue. Women have keener noses than men do. So I just think, yeah, I, I don't know. I have had no success in this with women in terms of if they're not clean or if their partner's not clean and just. I just say take the shower. I don't know. It feels like I'm fighting an uphill battle and I give up. What do you think? No, I think a lot of men just don't think about this. My son comes home from a football game. He don't even want to shower. He's like, I'm going to pick my girlfriend. I'm like, does it even occur to you like, to, to take a shower? So I think this could be a break that a lot of men are not even that aware of. Mm-hmm. Right? How much of that could be a turnoff? Because... I guess, you know, you're driven by testosterone that the smells aren't as important. Yeah. Right? But that's, that's, something oh, they're good. That... I mean, I think some men like sweat, you know, they, all of that kind of earthy human smell mm-hmm. can be good for them. Whereas right. I think a lot of women, not as good. I, there are, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to get letters, women out there who are like, no, no, I really like it. I will say for me, you know, like when my husband has been, hiking out in the woods or he goes out to gather firewood or something for us and he comes in and he has that outdoor kind of almost sweaty smell it's like oof, that is really good right? that's a big turn on have you told him that 
George, I have told him that, yes. All right, nice. Yes, I have told him that. I don't think I've ever said that, like, this smell really turns me on, or it's, again, it's something we could be more explicit on. This could be a great gas pedal. If it's not really that relevant to you, that's probably something you could practice a little bit more or play with a little bit more. But I like what we're doing here. We're also inviting people to think about, is this a break? And if there's a bad smell, that that's really going to turn you off for good reasons. We got to find a way of communicating that. We got to get both people to just become more aware that this is part of what's going to make the body engage or disengage. Mm -hmm. I, I think women, too, are all hung up about how their vulva smells, even if they're clean, even if they're from a shower. They won't let their husband give them oral sex or their partner give them oral sex, you know, because they're yeah. convinced they don't smell good. Right. Well, what about visual? I mean, I think well, again, you can't we just leave away from that. Right, right. You have to say something yeah. positive. Like what? Viva what, la vulva. <laughs> I did talk to a, a male patient once and his wife was hung up and he's like, you know what? It's like nothing. You know, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't even hit his brain. It was just like he liked doing it. Smell was part of it. It didn't hit his brain as something something at all bad. Yeah. I, so this is we're encouraging you to talk about the smell and the taste. On, how many couples do you think have actually had that conversation? I think very few. Right. You know? And if you don't have the conversation, then you're going to fill in the blanks with your own assumptions, which probably are going to be too positive probably it's going to be some version of uh, it smells and I don't like it or my partner don't like it. We're going to fill in the blanks in a probably negative way. Mm -hmm. And I bet you if you have this conversation, you might find some different information. Yeah. And that's what we want is people to be to reach for their partner and say, hey, this is what I'm anxious about. Right. That's vulnerability. And having their partner give them some reassurance. It's like, no, no, no. I, I like that. I like your smell. It's good for me. I mean, and I would say 99% of the time, that's the truth. Awesome. If you could have that conversation, we're opening up more space here mm -hmm. for more of the senses. So how more about the, the visual, Lori? You know, I, I think a lot of men are so visual, right? They want to see things that that's a big part of their turn on. So we can see the gas pedal. And <laughs> a lot of, you know, partners want the lights off. There could be a break. Like, what is that about the lights off that... You know, I, this this is funny because remember you, you said pick a scene that we're going to show in the couples retreat and you wouldn't tell me what scene to pick. And then I pick one and you and all you do is complain. It's like, it's too dark. I can't see it. I don't even know what it's about. It's not as sexual as I thought it would be. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why didn't you just tell me which one to pick? But again, even in the scene, you were saying, you know, complaining, it's too dark. I think a lot of men, right? They they want to be able to see see their partner, see what's happening. Because it's a gas pedal for them. So that sense is well developed, right? And maybe they have to play around with having being blindfolded and not having that and see what that's like. But I guess I'm curious about the break part of this. Like if you don't want to see anything, what's that about? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and are there things that you could do to, that explores that? Like if the lights were on, what would you see? What would that bring up? Is not the way you don't like the way you look, the way your partner looks like wh what's going on there? Mm -hmm. So if the lights are on, why do you not want the lights on? What's going to happen? What's the bad thing that will happen? Right. My partner. I, I mean, I think much of it is my partner will see me and judge me negatively and reject mm. me. So people who don't want the lights on, they're afraid of rejection really 
I think it's deep in it. Now, that's absolutely true. But how many partners don't even want to make eye contact? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're making eye contact, you're not looking at anything else. And yet there's something about the eye contact that's so difficult. Right? They mm-hmm. want to have their eyes closed. Maybe it makes it easy to focus. I'm sure there's good reasons. But how do we play around with, well, let's open our eyes and see what that's like. Does that deepen your intimacy? Does it bring up awkwardness? Like it's it's more stuff for us to talk about. Yeah, with the lights on, right? You can make more of an interpersonal connection versus just the sensory experience of touch. It, it brings somehow or another more spirit connection, emotional connection, because you're looking at your partner. I like that. That's true. But so, I mean, maybe that's fearful. You know, maybe it's kind of a shame-based reaction, yeah. Uh, if my partner sees me enjoying this, I'm going to feel shame in that because, you know, I, I don't really give myself permission to sink into this and go for it and enjoy. Yes. Yeah. Could be lots of reasons. I think a lot of us just make these, when we're younger, we fall into like something that works and we like and we just stick with it without ever challenging it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if my eyes were closed the first time I have sex. I guess that's just what I do. Mm-hmm. And we're just, again, inviting conversations between partners to just identify. So how about hearing? How about sound? Listening? I mean, that's. You know, one of the tricks to discovering what your partner's kind of favorite mode is, is listen to their metaphors. You know, people who are auditory, they often use metaphors like, mm. I hear you. I really. When I hear you say that, I think this or whatever, or I gotcha is a more kinesthetic metaphor. You know, those people, maybe they're more touch oriented or I see you uh, or I see your point. I mean, people who are visual sometimes use those metaphors. It's just interesting. I don't know if that translates to sex or not, but. Well, people with sounds certainly is a gas pedal. A lot of people love expressing their sounds, hearing their partner's sound, using dirty talk. I mean, that's a big gas pedal. The mm-hmm. flip side is the breaks. What about people who don't say anything? There's something about sound does something to them that they don't want to express any sounds. Yeah. One of the breaks that comes up for me as I think about that is if your partner is not making any sound, also that means potentially they're not making any reassuring sound. So you don't know if you're doing it right for them. You know, if the way you're touching them is good for them. They don't necessarily murmur anything. So without that encouragement, it is kind of a break. Yeah. You know, certainly not a gas pedal. Well, the I, sounds you're making, the sounds your partner's making, music in the background, there's so much here that we can bring into the sexual encounter. But a lot of times partners just don't think about it. It's just something that happens that they're not aware of. We're trying to help them become more intentional. Like how is sound in your relationship? I had a female patient who did not like to watch porn, but she really liked to listen to porn, mm. you know, because the the breathing, the sounds, all of that just felt so it, sexy to her. So Interesting. So how do we explore if sounds don't turn us on, but actually start to turn us off? What is that about? Maybe when you were younger, you weren't allowed to express things verbally. Maybe you're concerned that how you might come across, you know, there there's something there that we want to just be curious about. Mm -hmm. And I think language is problematic, especially if one partner wants to use a type of language and the other wants to use something else like Mm. prim and proper names versus slang names or something for their body parts and for what they're doing. You know, that, that really has to be talked about. Um, Nice. I had a, a, 
another patient who said recently that when he was growing up, the first labels that he heard about the sexual experience were it was from, you know, kind of the boy group. And so it was all slang. It was all, and those were the most sexual words to him. That's how it hits his brain. That's, that's a sexual word. The stuff he heard in school, it didn't feel sexual. It was clinical. So, I mean, I think if we could talk to each other about, is this a sexual place for you? That would be good. So good, Lori. So good. And the opposite is true. If you heard words that shut you down or shamed you or made you feel bad about yourself, that's going to slam on the brake. Mm-hmm. Talking about taste, it's the same thing. I mean, I, what I'm excited about in this episode is just to invite people to be more curious about the breaks. Because I think what most of us do is we don't like it and we just we throw it away. And we just lose access to those parts of ourselves without ever exploring them. You might never like tickling, but if you explore it, <laughs> there might be something more that we access. And I think so many lovers never have these conversations around what turns them on and what turns them off with the five senses. So cool stuff, Lori. Cool stuff. Okay. So talk about those breaks in the five senses. See if you can think about what would happen if the lights were on? What would happen if you know you were tickled? What would happen if you allowed yourself to look at your partner or if you allowed your partner to look at you? What are the bad things? And see if you can identify what the break is and then offer that up to your partner. This is what I'm feeling. This is, this is why it's a turnoff for me. That makes sex so much more intelligent to our partner. More gas pedals, less brakes. Keep it hot, baby. Laurie, really excited about the Success and Vulnerability Project. We are really pushing the leading edges of therapy and breaking down the process and in moments, session by session, choice points. Why does this work? What intervention are you using? If it works, what do you do next? I mean, this is the next level for therapists. If you want to up your game, you want to see real clinical examples, you want to break down the process, you want demonstrations, you want teaching. I mean, it's all there. Really exciting, good stuff. It is. I love it. I listen to the new modules repeatedly. It's great information. I'm learning, you know, still in the process and it is good. I love what you guys do teaching and the demonstrations. They're fun. They're funny and they're really helpful to my work. So this is training for therapists. If you'd like this training, go to successinvulnerability.com. It's all one word, successinvulnerability.com. Call in your questions to the 4Play question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-MY, the number 4, play. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. This podcast is copyrighted by 4Play Media.